Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for all things human factors, psychology, and design. Hey everybody, it is episode 166. Today is May 14th, 2020, and this is Human Factors Cast. I'm your host, Nick Rome. I am joined by Mr. Blake Armstrong across the internet from me. How are you guys? Hey, there he is. Hey, Blake, how are you? I'm doing fine. Did you just flash some Greeblies at me? I did. <laughs> you remembered the name. I love it. Yeah, I'm, I'm flashing Greeblies over here. Uh, yeah, no, I. Uh, <laughs> we can get to that in the banter, but uh, uh, we got we got one news story for you this week. Again, we're trying to keep these short. We're, we know you got, uh, um, you're not commuting right now unless you're an essential worker. If you are, thank you so much for everything. We really appreciate it. Uh, but for most of us, you know, we're kind of stuck still inside, even though a lot of uh, places are lifting that. So uh, we'll continue to be short term for now um, in the foreseeable future. I guess we'll still be kind of shorter episodes just for you all. Uh, but we do have one news story that we're talking about these uh, robotic exosuits exo um, that show immediate improvements, improvements to walking speeds of stroke survivors. Talking is hard today, Blake. I don't know why. I think I've had too much caffeine. It's like almost eight at night, and and I've had way too much caffeine. Well, that's funny. Uh, I did but, the same thing today. <laughs> uh, but first, we got some uh, programming notes. You got Human Factors Minute. Um, we are just burning those things up. If you, if you know you're you're like wanting more Human Factors content, that's the place to go. Uh, we're dusting off our textbooks. We're going the history lessons, pulling out our old. Um, PowerPoints from grad school, a million different sources, you know, like we're just we're pulling out a bunch of different things uh, and and highly producing these little bite sized segments for you. They're highly researched. Um, and, uh, you know, like, like I said, back in, I guess, March, we had a we had a year's worth of content. And I think we're even further out in terms of stuff written, not recorded. But, uh, yeah, we got a lot of stuff for you. Um, so anyway, check that out. Banter section. Let's go. Off to What's Banter going on Town. with you? <laughs> What's going on with you, Blake? Oh man. So it's been fun to reminisce this week uh, and play some really old video games. So I got inspired over the earlier in the week watching too much Twitch, of course, and have been playing Doom 64 kind of incessantly. I feel like I'm, you know, 15 again, just hanging out in my basement playing Duke Nukem in 64. Uh, but so I remember a couple of weeks ago I kind of, you know, for lack of a better way of putting 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 it you know didn't really like some of the my experience with uh, google stadia but right now since i've actually been doing it through mainly my laptop just using the controller with the laptop and all that kind of stuff the like experience is way smoother than trying to like go through the chromecast into the tv and make sure that's hooking up to the network like th literally and i remember you showing me this initially nick like the ability just to hop in your browser in my, in my case, I had a redeem code for 64 and be playing it in like, you know, less than 15 seconds. It's just insane to me. Still. Right. So I don't know. I, mean, I, I wanted to kind of change my tune a little bit now that I've had a little more experience and like how quick it can be and how much fun it can be. Yeah, I think there's a lot of companies out there that think that cloud gaming is kind of the future, right? And it's a little weird to say, you know, the download speed is so incredible with something that, uh, like Doom 64, um, you know, that it's not a very big file. So actually downloading it wouldn't really um, cost you any time, but it would still be like a 30-second thing instead of, you know, just connecting to a data center and being able to play it instantly. So that's cool. I'm glad I'm glad your um, your experience with Stadia has changed 
a, a little bit. Um, it's been super fun. Uh, and some of the content they're coming out with are on their own looks like it's going to be a good time as well. So I'm kind of excited to see like what happens with Google Stadia, of course. But like like we talked about last week, also in a couple of days, Amazon's going to kind of drop one of their bigger games on like right. May 20th or something. So it'll be cool to see compare and contrast like how that experience is across the two different platforms, if you will, that are both cloud-based. Yeah, I mean, like, look, here, I talked about a lot about Stadia on the show, and uh, I feel like I'm coming off as kind of a fanboy. I think, to me, I just want to clarify, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a fan of cloud gaming um, because of what technology, uh, what, what you can accomplish with that technology. Um, I like Google. I think it's fine. I, I'm really excited about the competition with Microsoft and Amazon and Google all getting into this space. Um, and speaking of games, did you did you see that Unreal Five uh, demo? No. Oh, oh man, no. you got it. Serious? You have to go check this out. I'm like very tempted to almost pause the podcast, have you go watch it, and pick back up because it is amazing. Uh, some of the some of the technology in there. So um, I know it's not really human factors, but like you need to see some of this stuff if you're if you're looking for the future of gaming. Um, that was running on a PlayStation 5, and and just the amount of texture detail that you can put in something now, um, the amount of like draw distance and, and rendering capabilities that this engine has is just phenomenal. Um, so may, maybe sneak it in while we're talking yeah, <laughs> about everything pretty, else. I mean, I'm watching parts of it right now. It is pretty incredible looking. Like, um, it's hard to even fathom that this would be gameplay because yeah. it looks too real it looks way it does, too right? real that's nuts yeah so anyway that came out um but yeah i mean so again i'm just kind of a fan of cloud gaming and the future in general right the more power that we can put into everybody's sort of pockets i think that's that's great right well you that's know? the crazy part right because like even with google stadia right now you could be don't they have or maybe you even have this but i think they have like controller or like controller bits that you can just hook your phone up to it so you're playing off of your holding your controller in the same place which is nuts to me because I, I thought it was nuts when you were able to like play Fortnite on your phone and that was kind of a wonky experience without a controller but basically being able to sit on the couch yep exactly that thing be able to sit on the couch and just like play on your phone with the controller in your hand and phone yeah. screens are good enough now like looking at them is it's not like straining on the eyes or too um too much of a pain in the ass to look at yeah, the claw, they call it the claw, and it clips onto the Stadia controller. You can play directly on your phone. The only reason I haven't played more with this on my phone is because right now you can't wirelessly connect to your phone, um, which is kind of a bummer, right? I mean, like the whole reason I got the Stadia controller was so that way I connect directly to the Wi Fi, reduce my ping, uh, especially when gaming on cloud. Um, but I, I will say they just implemented for browsers, so now you can pair it to your computer without. T uh, tethering you yeah. could do that with the chromecast previously uh and so i'm waiting for the day when it'll be available on my phone and that's what i think but it'll be really picked up you know it's, it's like i could sit on the couch while the screen is occupied by either my son watching sesame street or uh my wife playing animal crossing you know yeah. <laughs> so then i can play on my phone and just you know kind of be there um and i think that's really so, where that the whole cloud gaming thing's actually going to take off is when it's just that accessible and it's barely Barely you doing anything but pulling the thing out of your pocket and like sticking it to a controller while you're sitting on the couch. Yeah, sorry, I had a little visitor uh, <laughs> while we're recording. Uh, so yeah, 
Speaking of my son, uh, <laughs> he's, he's learning to crawl right now, which is very annoying, but also I'm very proud. Um, he's like, we're, we're going to have to baby proof things very soon. Um, and I guess that can be kind of my, my banter, but he's, uh, he's, it's, it's so weird, man. Like you want them to be mobile for so long. And then, and then once they start becoming mobile and more independent, you're like, no, wait, 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 just sit down here and just be, you know, a baby, do that thing. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's frustrating because, because, you know, you, you look away for a second and he tumbles and he hits his head. Oh um, no. Yeah. Or, or, you know, like, um, you know, or he's, he's like, he's able to pull himself up onto objects now. And it's like, it's, it's crazy, man. That's so insane. Cause it, it just feels like, I don't know, just a little while ago that, I don't know, he was really, really small. And now every time I see him, he's so much bigger, like through the podcast lens, um, yeah, and now yeah, that no he's kidding. crawling around, that's that's just so crazy to me. Human development is just so fast. You'll look it's, back on this, and it'll be insane. I'm sure. I know. Yeah, I mean, like he's uh, he's what seven months, uh, and he is kind of like walking with assistance. So if we like hold his hand, he can walk along, right? What? I know. Oh. It's crazy. Uh, and and so. <laughs> You know, we're we're looking into baby gates and all that stuff and trying to figure out what the best way to baby proof our like area is. Um anyway, I flashed these at the beginning of the show. Greeblies. Um <laughs> Yeah, so uh so yeah, I I've I've been getting more and more greeblies and these happen to be like just uh, gaskets for a fifty CC motor. Um and you know, I got a couple ideas for them, but the the, the thing that I want to talk about is eBay's great. <laughs> I was about to say, eBay's, where did you get a bunch of gaskets from? <laughs> right, this was like this was like ten bucks or something. This is very very inexpensive. Where if you buy one of these new, it's like five bucks or something. And and uh, so I mean, like if you're looking for used parts, just like like arts and crafts decor kind of thing, eBay's pretty great about that stuff. I mean, um, I had been opposed to eBay for a very long time when my motorcycle went for much less than I I didn't want it to go for. Oh no, uh, somebody somebody got a great deal on that. Uh, <laughs> and um so yeah I, I bought these and i bought some hard drive motors that that end up looking really cool and they're actually uh they actually look very star wars e um so i'm very excited and i have to talk about sort of this this challenge that i've been experiencing with my build um and let me know if you've ever gotten into this blake where you've started on on a project and you're kind of at a point where you just don't know what to do next. And like, there's so much stuff to do and you can talk about this like in a professional manner with work or with projects that you work on. Here's the Greebly, by the way, that's, that's the hard drive Ooh, motor. Yeah. That looks star. That does look really star Warsy, right? AF. Yes. So, uh, so I mean, it, I, I've experienced this in, in the professional manner as well, but I, it's, it's interesting when it's on a project for fun I have I have a, a a list of things that I need to do for this, and I was putting together my list, and I was putting basically writing out dependencies on like what needs to be done first, right? Like, I need to design an LED pattern, and to do that, I need to design where I want my LEDs on this thing. And once once I've done those, then I can code up the LEDs. But t uh, simultaneously, I can code buttons. Um, and then once I kind of have the prototype done, I can wire up the components, I can solder the wires, I can anchor the wires to the board. Um, but completely separate from that, I can uh, paint the greeblies a certain color, I can paint the board again, I can um, 
you know, weather, weather some Greeblies before I put them together and then weather them again afterwards. I have a whole dependency chart right there. Uh, it's kind of hard to see for you, but, but uh, you know, I have kind of board complete at the top. And then as I work my way down, so I'm working my way back up this uh, like dependency chart, almost trying to figure out what I can do in tandem and what do I need um, uh, basically what do I need before I can move on to the next step? And so I think that's something that's helpful. Um, and like today I spent a whole lot of time kind of measuring this thing out because that's something that I actually didn't do as plan ahead, which in hindsight I would do next time. Um, there's somebody I know that was uh, very keen on planning and, um, yeah, I should uh, heed their words with this one. Yeah, you gotta have a plan. <laughs> you gotta plan. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm kind of sitting in that a little bit myself. So for a while, like I'm a big Native Instruments fan, and I've always wanted to have one of their like it's a physical product, so it's like their drum machine beat maker. Uh, but I got it in my head because I I'd, I'd seen a couple of them made in JavaScript that I was gonna basically make a replica of it online. And I, I kind of got into it and found out like how tough it can be doing some of the audio engineering to make the sounds quite sound right and get some of the looks that I'm trying to go for. So I feel like for probably three or four months, I've kind of been in a standstill um, in a similar, similar fashion. Like I've gotten to a point where I knew all the things I needed to do or checked off each item on my list. And now I'm kind of just stuck. Uh, like wanting to update pieces of the UI, figuring out how to make some of the animations work and then really getting high quality sounds in there without having to pay a lot to host it or get in trouble for hosting, you know, other people's sounds and stuff like that. So I totally feel you. It's one of those things where now is kind of a really cool time because yeah. although I'm still working probably more than I was, like being at home and not having to trans do transit stuff or like have to worry about how I'm dressed, I can just get up, get to the laptop, start working on projects that are my own stuff for work stuff for my other job so it's kind of nice being able to still touch it a little bit now that i've been able to come back to it yeah i i feel like it's been weeks and this is all i have to show for it right like i you'll see a couple extra markings on there but for the most part it's exactly the same and it's just because i'm at that stage right now where like i in my head i can see it I am waiting on some parts and, and paint from Amazon right now, uh, especially, you know, d with the delays. Um, but, like, there's no excuse for, for coding up this thing. In an Arduino. I, I will say I did actually, you know, get sort of the um, the, the blueprint ready for all, all my lights and buttons, right? That's all all wired up there. Oh, nice. Uh, if, if you can see on my I desk. Can, you know, yeah. I can, yeah. I got some kind of going there. Um, so, I mean, they're they're... They're there, but they're, you know, I still need a lot of work to do on them. And um, it's just a matter of getting to it and doing it. And, I, you know, it's the coding stuff that I think it intimidates me just a little bit. And I don't have all the parts and pieces I need. And I think that's kind of stopping me from doing it. When really I could get started with something. And it's just a matter of checking off these dependencies, right? Yeah, like, man. Just so. start hopping in that IDE and making that machine level style code and you'll be good to go yeah all right well i think we've blabbered on enough about stadia and greeblies and all that stuff so why don't we go ahead and get into the news that's right this is the part of the show all about human factors news could be uh could be anything except for COVID 19 we're not talking about that as long as it relates to the field of human factors, it is fair game for us to talk about here tonight on the show. 
Blake, what do we got up first and only this week? We can do a deep dive. First and only. So we're deep diving into robotic exosuits. So there's been a small study out of Harvard and Boston University that's targeting the use of soft robotic exosuits uh, among stroke survivors. So the aim is to demonstrate how such technology could impact the rehabilitation of patients suffering from a kind of paralysis that impacts muscles and limbs on one side of your body. So among the six patients that were involved in the study, walking speed has actually been shown to improve an average of about 0.14 meters a second, which is pretty quick. And the patients were also able to walk a total of 32 meters farther than the average during a six-minute interval time, one walking more than 100 meters farther away. So definitely your outlier. Uh, but the suit itself is a small and soft weigh, small and soft suit made of fabric weighing around 11 pounds, including its battery. But electronics aside, it is largely a fabric-based suit with actuators mounted on someone's hips. And those are actually used to help you assist the movement in ankles by the way of these attached cables to the actuators. So the levels of improvement in speed and distance that were found in the exploratory study exceeded researcher expectations for an immediate effect without any training or highlighting the and highlighting the promise of an exosuit technology like this. And so something just to bring up before we dive too deep, typically when this this kind of happens and you have a stroke victim that loses, you know, feeling in one side of their body or inability to use their limbs, you're having to go through really intensive uh, rehabilitation and physical therapy. And what this study is basically showing is that by introducing an exosuit, you may be able to speed that up and even have better progress than if you were doing this alone with only kind of your own motor skills. Yeah, this is so we're we're gonna do a deep dive here on uh, on exoskeletons, uh, and I I want I want to first talk about this. So this is awesome to me because not only is it is it allowing people who have lost um, or who have had a stroke and who have basically uh, encountered these difficulties with mobility. Uh, post-stroke, right? It is It is giving them that mobility back. And I always talk about it on the show, imagine losing something and then getting that back or never having something and getting another sensory uh, input or, or ability to do something that you, you know, couldn't previously do. It's, it's accessibility is, is a big deal. Um, and so anywhere we can try to help those populations that are uh, unable to do something uh, that they were either previously unable to or never able to. I think that's great. Um, this actually reminds me a lot of you and I sitting in Ergo X. I guess it was like a, a year and a half ago, uh, or, or maybe two years. Was it two years ago? No, it was a year and a half ago. Yeah, maybe. I don't know, man. I feel like it was a year and a half ago. Yeah. We were sitting in Ergo X, and we were just like, wow, this is the coolest, like, nerdiest conference ever. You know, like, everyone's sitting here in, in exoskeletons talking about the future and um, you know, I think this is really one of those examples where, where that type of technology really shines. Um, you know, I mean, we've seen other stories where, uh, you know, exoskeletons are used as kind of this augmented uh, uh, human augmentation that allows you to lift heavier loads or, or perform um, with less energy expenditure, right? But I think this in the, the rehabilitation space is... is is an interesting and and very needed sort of uh, application of this technology, and it's something that like at, like at Ergo X, for example, I remember 
Yeah, I'm trying to remember at least. I remember most of the technology being very focused on kind of the military application because that's a great application. There's so much you can do in that domain with an, an exosuit or any kind of augmentation like this. And I mean, I feel like ever since then, we we would like find stories and be really excited about them because we saw similar technologies like this at Ergo X. Um, but alongside that, a lot of the other stories and stuff that we saw at Ergo X as well was very industrial based. So stuff that would help people, you know, that are working warehouses or they're paired with robots. And so providing them kind of, again, that augmentation. But I think it's this application that really gets me the most excited only because it's like, it is that augmentation aspect, but it's applied to people like just everyday people. Some it could be it could be friends of yours. It could be somebody who's never walked before. It could be military vets who've lost you know a limb or something like that. There's just a lot of cool application to basically give people their like one independence back because it can definitely change your entire life by integrating like basically a piece of machinery um, into your life. And I think it's it's kind of cool to read reading this story and I know it's like an exploratory study, but the fact that it we're seeing them in this kind of more medical and commercialized setting moving towards being, you know, fabric based, maybe not so much heavy with the machinery or the metal parts. Um, I think that really is going to help get these more mainstream and also make people feel comfortable wearing them in public or using them publicly. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that this is pretty lightweight, right? I mean, this is just a, a kind of a belt uh, with with a couple parts that that help them walk. Uh, and and specifically, this is looking at kind of that one side that needs assistance, right? Um, how after a stroke, you know, one side can become uh, unresponsive or or something like that. So I I, I think the lightweightness of this is also. Um, you know, sort of key here, especially for this population where it's a recovering population. Um, you know, it's not something bulky like a like an exosuit. Um, and I think they did. Didn't they like describe the difference between exoskeletons and exosuits? Yeah, I'm feeling kind of bad that I just I don't know the, what the distinction is because it's it is clearly called out in this one exosuit, uh, whereas a lot of the stuff that we talk about is kind of exoskeletal based or that I've seen before is more exoskeleton focused. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm just looking up on Google here. So this is, take this with a grain of salt. I know this is not like, uh, ergonomic approved or whatever. It's not the standard or whatever. It's, it's from exoskeleton report. So the uh, soft exoskeletons are smaller, much lighter and require less energy to use exosuits. Oh, that's right. Exosuits are, uh, um, basically powered, I think. I think the the ex- one of them is powered. That makes sense because um, in this case they've paired it with like quote unquote robotic, uh, so that would make sense. Right, like, and it's using more actuators than um, or pulley well, systems. I, guess, I don't know, maybe not because there's power exoskeletons here. I don't know. I don't know if you know. Uh, please, please write us or join us on our Slack. Um, you know, we're not experts in these things, and we don't claim to be. These are just we are taking a surface level dive onto human factors issues all across the board. Uh, we have our areas of expertise, but obviously this is just a, a fun discussion. So if you know, please share it with everybody on our Slack. Uh, be great conversation. Um, exoskeletons and exosuits. That's interesting. I f- I feel really bad. Maybe we got to reach out to uh, one of the folks that we talked to, Chris Reed, Dave Rempel, one of those guys. Yeah, they probably know. I feel like they would have the perfect answer for the difference between the two. Yeah um let's see here so yeah this this site is just advantages and disadvantages doesn't explain the difference all right anyway um yeah exoskeletons 
I always wonder because because like I get I'm kind of interested in the PT space as well. I've always wondered if like including something like an exosuit or exoskeleton like this into like your physical therapy training in general for most people would either improve the like the speed of it, so maybe getting your muscle memory to you know lock in quicker. Because I know one thing, because I've been trying to pick up guitar again and playing, you know, fast arpeggios and things. And one tip that I've gotten is when you, if you mess up to stop and restart because you don't want to teach your muscle memory something incorrect. So that translates really well to like weightlifting or doing a squat wrong or any of that kind of stuff. So if something like this, that's very minimal in terms of the machinery that's required to use it, could really start improving just PT in general. Um, outside of whether you have like really serious ailments like we're talking about here with paralysis. Hey, quick tangent. Um, you mentioned muscle memory when you're playing. H- have you ever picked up a musical instrument and then just like had your muscle memory just take over? It- it's an amazing experience. And it's just something that's like, you know, you're, you're like trying to remember this old song and you're playing it. And then all of a sudden, like it just comes out of your body. You're like, how did I do that? Yeah, there's it's funny. So like, um, <laughs> It has to be over 12, 12 years ago now was the last time I was playing in a band. I can still pick up a guitar and play our entire like three albums worth of songs. And Dang. no problem. And, but it doesn't make any sense because like, anything else I'm trying to learn how to play, it's really, really hard. But the muscle memory and doing it so often and doing it potentially in some altered inebriated states at different bars or whatever. I think it just has ingrained <laughs> in my body. Like, okay, these are the movements you have to make both with, with two hands. Uh, so it's, it is kind of nuts to experience that for sure. Oh man. I want to ask you a question after this is done. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, do we have any other closing thoughts on exoskeletons? I know, I know uh, that's a huge long topic that we could go on and on about, but Again, trying to keep these episodes short. So any any closing thoughts? It's just exciting to see it in this kind of medical style application. Yeah, I agree. All right, well, why don't we go ahead and take a quick break, and we'll be back to break down the rest of the news stories right after this. Human Factors Cast strives to bring you the best in human factors chatter every week. We pack news, interviews, reviews, and overall fun conversations into each and every product that we put our seal of approval on. But we can't do it without you. You see, the Human Factors Cast Network is 100% listener-supported. All the funds that go into running this show come from the listeners. That's why we're giving back to our supporters on Patreon, now more than ever. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like 24-7 access to our exclusive Human Factors Cast Slack channel, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Cast Infinite, a Patreon-only podcast where the topic is Human Factors Etc., we're always updating our rewards, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you all, and remember, it depends. Okay, and we're back. Before we go on, I just want to thank all of our friends over at TechCrunch for the original article. You can find us on our Slack. We do post those as we find them. Um, that particular article article was from IEEE Explore as well. So TechCrunch uh, kind of reports on these other things. Anyway, uh, you know what? I think that was the only story for today. So let's go ahead and switch gears and get to uh, the next part of the show. But before I do that, I just want to mention Human Factors Minute again. Do the Human Factors Minute thing. It's, uh, it helps us out. Um, anyway, okay, let's get into Reddit. It came from... It came from... 
That's right. It came from Reddit. This is the part of the show where we search all over Reddit to bring you topics the community is talking about. Uh, this could be anything. This could, as long as it relates to human factors and encourages discussion among the community. You could read. You could send us an email. We could reach out to Reddit. It could be Twitter. It could be anything. Slack. We talk about things from our Slack too. Uh, this one in particular um, is from the user experience subreddit by Wayward Tangent. I guess the tangent earlier was appropriate then. This is advice for UX team of one and junior designer. Uh, I just got hired as a UX designer for a startup as my first job out of school. The company has never had any kind of UX designer before, but everyone I've spoken to in the company understands the need for UX and are eager for me to improve the user experience. What I'm nervous about is how to best structure my workflow and prioritize work as the only UX person. I'd really appreciate any advice you guys, you folks have uh, about how to successfully lead a UX team of one. Blake, do you have any experience being the only UX person on a team? Absolutely. I definitely do. And this is and so when I read this originally, I thought it was like a UX per, a UX team of one plus a junior designer, but it sounds like it's a UX team of one with a with somebody who's very junior. Um, which I think at a startup has got to be a really fun experience, probably daunting as they kind of describe being nervous about it. Uh, but I think in a lot of ways this almost sounds like the perfect setup. So you, if you've talked to the company and you have gotten across the board that we know we need help from a UX designer, our experience and our product is just not great, you're kind of set for success. I mean, you, you can only go up from here. The one thing to kind of think about and be ready for is just to be ready to test things, fail fast and pivot quickly. And I think the best way you can do that, especially if you're the only person that is the UX team member, you really need to go ahead and, you know, talk to the developer, talk to your, talk to any PMs, get like a good sense of people's workflow, what they're working on and what they're doing and really understanding and thinking from a high level, like where are you going to have the most impact? Um, and then it's really just trying a process that works for you. It could be design thinking. You could incorporate elements of, you know, Google sprint methodology. There's great books on that that exist. One thing that I do encourage you to pick up is lean UX because um, it really starts and puts together a nice, easy framework that's very simple, very lean as it describes. But it's it's super it's a super agile process of integrating in basically software development and a startup, and what you should really be doing, what products you should be thinking about. But the antithesis of that book is just be prepared to pivot quickly based off of what you find out and what you learn. So worrying about like the best way to do things, it might not be the best thing for you to be doing in a startup and as your first job. Just kind of take what you've learned in school, take what you know from, you know, past experience and just try and apply it. Yeah, I would say uh, everything that you said is correct, Blake. So I actually have experience doing this exact thing. So I worked at a company where uh, they didn't have a human factors person on board. Uh, they had just set up a team for kind of the UX human-centered design. They took a course for human-centered design. Um, and you, they understood the importance of human factors, which is why they reached out and had me on the team. Uh, and so, um, or, or why I applied and, and why they even had the opening to begin with. They had a human factors opening. So they understood the importance. Um, and a lot of it, again, is kind of building that relationship with those around you and, and e explaining the importance of the things that you're doing. 
Um, and I think, you know, you, your role is to best find the, uh, the most optimized way to collect feedback um, that is not going to get a lot of pushback. Because uh, I know what that's like, too. You, you, my strategy was, and, and this is something that you can take or leave, but as um, my strategy for this was basically jump in, say, hey, Here's the golden ticket. You want this question answered, you do this. Here you go. That's what you do. Uh, oh, we don't have the money for that. We don't have the resources for that. Okay, I could dance around this question by doing these things, but you won't get the same thing. And if that's okay, you know, let me know and we can we can set it up. Um, oh, also... You got to stay in the other room while I do this because I can't have you in here. <laughs> no, oh, that's, that's the big one, right? <laughs> that's that is so hard to sell people on because it's like, no, I want to see what you're doing. It's like, okay, so by the way, here's what I ended up doing for that. I said, okay, well, here's what we'll do. I will screen share my screen with you so and and have it hot hot mic so you can listen in. But I'm gonna put you all on mute so that way you can listen and watch, but you can't interrupt what I'm doing. Um, so uh. With that said, being the only person on a team that has a certain expertise, uh, and especially if you are kind of new to this, um, you know, they say this is their first job. That was my first job, too. And one thing that I took a lot of advantage of was just kind of jumping in and learning head first. I took all the things. It was it was something that I took very seriously. Not that I don't take my jobs now very seriously, but when it is your first job, you have to make an impression and you have to. Um, basically create something that you can take with you for the rest of your career so that way you can talk about it when you want to get hired somewhere else. So what I ended up doing was I learned a lot by the seat of my pants. I held these weekly meetings that kind of, you know, said, hey, these are the different strategies that we can employ. Let's talk about it. I talked about it with my team, um, you know, and I, I went out of my way and I learned a lot uh, just to kind of figure out what the best way to do things were. Um, so yes, there's a lot of different ways that you can go about this. Just be smart about it. Keep your head about you, um, and provide options to the people who are making the decisions. That is probably one of the most important, uh, pieces of advice I can give you. Provide options. Say, Hey, look, here's the optimal route. We can do this and get that, or we can do these things and get something slightly less. It'll be a little bit more vague, but I think, you know, the answer might be there. So anyway, uh, that's my advice. Any other closing thoughts on this one, Blake? That's some great advice. Like being ready to like have multiple answers and knowing like the optimal path versus what can be done the fastest maybe, or what can at least yield some kind of close answer to the questions you need answered is a great way. The only other thing I would suggest is even though it's your first job and sometimes people can do this to a fault, just be confident in what you're doing. Um, cause even if you end up screwing up and you make a mistake, it's not the end of the world. Um, but it, having confidence about the fact that you know what you're doing, you understand the field and you know how to apply the methods. And now you're going to like pretty silly cut your teeth in a very hard world. I think ultimately that'll pay off as you keep going. Hey, mistakes happen in a professional environment. Just uh, like if, if it's on you own it and, and you know, you'll get respect for that. Absolutely. Um, so I mean, there's there's that's kind of a different thread of like how to how to professionally handle yourself. Yeah. That's um, true. But you know, when you are a team of one, do act confident. All right. Well, that's gonna be it for today. Uh, let's go ahead and get out of here. It's uh, it's yeah, we're done. 
Let's get out of here. 35.30. I'm writing down the time so I can write. I can do the editing quick. See what I'm doing there, Blake? You're the man. <laughs> All right. Let us know what you guys think of the news story this week. If you want, you can join the discussion on our Slack or follow us all over our social channels at H-Factors Podcast. If you want, you can send us an email directly. That's at show at humanfactorscast.com. If you like what you hear, you want to support the show, uh, you can always leave us a review on your podcast medium of choice. That really helps others find the show. Let them know that it's good or not. You can say the show sucks, but why you're listening up until this point, I don't know. Um, you know, uh, and of course, you can always consider supporting us on Patreon, too. I know the world's in a weird place right now. Uh, a lot of other people need help, so consider donating there first. But if you got a spare buck and you want to hear uh, a couple bucks and you got you want to hear the Human Factors Minute that we've been working hard on, that's an option, too. Uh, I want to thank Mr. Blake Arnsdorf. Wait, wait, wait. You can find us on humanfactorscast.com as well. Mr. Blake Arnsdorf, where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk how bad Nick messed up this outro? Guys, you can just tag me in Slack because he'll see it too and it'll be fun to poke fun at him. But you can also find me it's across social media at Don't Panic UX. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me messing up the outro all across social media at Nick underscore Rome. And I'm also in the Slack, too. I don't know. Just tag me and say, you suck. Don't do it again. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again for tuning in to Human Factors Cast. Until next time. It, it depends. depends. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft, these are all examples of highly technical systems and organisations, and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202, the Human Factors podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory, because it's more than just common sense. 